0: A new episode of Dev Talks. It's me, Matthias, and I'm here with Julian and Andre. Hello my friends, how are you today? Hello. Hello. Julian, you're with me in Sweden. But
1: Andre you're still in Canary Islands. That is true. But I'm joining you in a Swedish misery next week. So. Ah, Sounds
0: good. Sounds good. Welcome back. What have you been wor- yeah welcome <laughs> back? What have you been working on? Julian, do you want to start?
2: Uh, sure. Well, um, on the side, I've been working on a project which uh, offer free consultancy um, for my community. So, if anybody is uh, wants to know, like they want to scale their application or secure some um, process that they have, they can reach out, and I just we have the discussion, and I just press record. And we upload that on YouTube or some uh, other platform that provide a way for people to easily uh, consume the discussion. Mm-hmm. And I, I find it really interesting that uh, it's all people I know that contact me and nobody <laughs> I don't know. So it's yeah. uh, I, I was expecting the contrary because uh, people I know should already know that they can reach out to me. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess I, I had yeah. to make it official. Uh, yeah. So yeah, if you have any questions, uh, whether it's GCP or not, I, I've had a friend who reached out. He's on Azure, and uh, we had a very interesting discussion about the concept and what it means to um, actually scale the app. And the discussion was around: should we migrate to Kubernetes? Because right now they have a serverless architecture, and they want yeah. to know they want to make sure it scales. So yeah, if if you have any question about scaling or Google Cloud, reach out. I'll be happy to set up a call with you.
0: Oh, cool. But can, can friends still request and talk yeah, to Yeah,
2: anybody. Anybody. No discrimination whatsoever. I'm
0: just, I'm just asking for, for friends. So. Yeah, yeah.
2: Cool. Cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Andrei, what I, have you been up to?
1: Quite many things, but... Yeah. Um, one thing that I want to follow up on is uh, from, I believe episode 25 when we spoke about Pulumi. So yeah. we did a little bit of experimentation together with um, several consultants from 5xl. And uh, yeah, I got, I got a taste for Pulumi. We decided to go with a Python version. And uh The project is that we need to deploy instance of the SaaS application. So when you're creating like a SaaS contract where you're signing up, you get your own deployment. Mm -hmm. And uh, in there, you need to like log into database, create a separate database in RDS. So we share the database, but everyone gets their own login details. And it's, it's, well, the database is a separate entity within the RDS, right? uh, the data is separated and the same like with Rabbit and stuff like that. So we thought well we could just use Pulumi to automate a lot of that and then mm. um, proof stuff to Argo and have the rest deployed. So we we'll, like prepare everything for deployment with Argo. We we prepare all the all the dependencies around the application. And uh, two things that um uh, caused a little bit of WTF was um, the classes' names. so they what what they did is told me they took them um, imagine like the HCL specification of something and then you would have nested structure. Yeah. So they, they basically take everything from those nested structures and glue it together. So you have like a flat name. yeah wow. and it uh, was like a class name consisting of 15 words or something. Just because it's like a nest structure, a nested structure, nested structure in Terraform, yeah. And uh, and Paul talked about that, that they're using Terraform providers, and this is how they basically generate the classes from the Terraform mm-hmm. providers. There's a little bit of a side effect; it's nothing major, really. Your ID will be able to give you a hand with this. So if you're using oh, yeah. any type of modern ID, you should have no problem with that. Another one was. um that, and I think Paul mentioned that as well is uh, execution order so technically you shouldn't be thinking about the Pulumi stuff as a, as a program in that language you should think about that as a, as your like, Terraform spec and what I mean yeah. by this is that we thought that for instance, we could uh, create a database and then we get uh, some details from the database, and then some run sc- uh, run a piece of Python code to go into the database and do something.
0: Yeah.
1: And that doesn't really work this uh. way because the first the Python code got exec- gets executed, and uh. that is used to generate the graph of resources underneath, and then Pulumi starts to apply it. And they're trying to do the best they can with the promises that, like, if you're requesting something and then using that as an input to another resource, then when yeah. those resources being created, that creates a dependency graph. So that the first yeah. resource will be created after the next resource. But if you're just taking something and then using it within the code, just you know, SSH somewhere, or do something else as far as understood to follow me doesn't have enough context to understand it. Like you need to create that oh. resource first. And this is a little bit unexpected. I mean, like when you start to work with that, maybe it was just my expectations not coming from the right mm-hmm. place, but it was like a little bit, uh, how do I do say it? How do I do that? So yeah. it was a little bit cumbersome. And um, we did about three or four hours of, uh, programming with that, and we're planning another follow up of three or four hours to complete that project. We have that in Terraform at the moment, so we're just trying to set up the same, something that would do the same with Pulumi and uh, see if that works. And another contender there is a cross plane, actually. So, because we could else, uh, I mean, we could take the GitOps way of doing things to, to the extreme and then ditch the Terraform, ditch the Pulumi and just let Kubernetes-driven operators create stuff for us. But there is a, also a little bit of downside to that. And I think that something that people do not consider when uh, you're running the GitOps within Kubernetes, you're not paying for API calls to the Kubernetes, right? The yeah. cloud provider it doesn't charge you for API calls. Mm. But Cloud providers charge you for API calls to the cloud API for the amount of those calls. And yeah, imagine yeah. you have something like a cross-plane that, need const- that needs constantly to uh, reconcile the state. So it yeah, will constantly yeah. go, and like, get, get me this bucket, get me this, get me this. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. constantly generates requests that you will have to pay and and so the, the cost is propagating through the system so first you're being billed by the request then you're being billed by cloud because it's all being logged to the trail then you're being billed by guard that analyzes the cloud trail then you're being billed by industry that stores <laughs> all the cloud trail logs and so on and so on so like mm. the, yeah this is something that i don't think people have on their radar And we just saw a similar type of pattern with a thing called external secrets. I believe it's a tool by the GoDaddy. Who would think of that GoDaddy had something to do with Kubernetes? And uh, that one could take the secrets from HashiCorp Vault, or it could take from AWS Secrets Manager and sync the secrets to the Kubernetes secrets. Yeah. Which is handy. Yeah, but if you use it with a AWS secrets manager, it will generate KMS calls each time it's trying to sync the secret. And if you like syncing every 10 seconds, it's going to be a lot of KMS decrypt calls that will cost you. (laughs) It feels like this type of GitOps thing for the cloud provider should be something provided by the cloud so that. Cloud yeah. provider absorbs that cost, and that cost is not exposed to you. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we are in the earliest days of this, and maybe it will come. But yeah, it's just a little bit of obs- latest observations that yeah. I had.
2: Yeah, that's a yeah. very good point. I think this, uh, you, you know, it's like the, sometimes you just want to monitor something, and then you pay the cost of running the monitoring. Yeah and and that cost is usually not, uh, you know, planned in advance, and suddenly yeah. you, you had, like, this explosion, of course, where does it come from? Yeah. And, and nobody knows, like, you tend to look at, uh, look at the logs. We have, like, uh, three times the amount of log because for each event that happens, there is something in the monitoring that, you know, we create three lines of log. And, and yeah. so th- that kind of uh, exponential effect uh, can be really surprising, and I really hope that... I don't know if it's a decision that we can make. but uh, I have no solution besides begging cloud providers to say, "Please provide us something, where that, that that you can optimize, and we don't have to pay like break the bank for that." I, th- I think that's coming. I mean, what we're doing today is
1: googling how to write YAML, mm-hmm. and yeah, machine yeah. learning will be quite efficient in doing that. So. Give it the five Absolutely.
0: years. <laughs> I, I yep. have a I had a similar when you say about monitoring. I have Elasticsearch cluster set up, uh, and I got some problems with uh, the cluster. So it starts logging. Uh, the thing is, like I also stored running the cluster in Kubernetes, so the logs also come back to Elasticsearch as logs. But the logs so much, so it logs double the amount of but our load balancer logs so you can of log so much it kills itself right it's like I have to go in there and stop logging and then try to fix it and then turn it on again to make it work so that was uh, that was my I think it was Monday or Tuesday this week getting to get uh, Elastic fun. to work because it was logging so much it kills itself
1: basically if I switch from this topic I'm so sorry for interrupting yeah. but this agenda we wanted to cover right yeah it is another thing that made the news last week and this week and we're recording it april 9th so you get a time reference it's a facebook not a breach but the data exposure yeah by some clever dudes that created a contact book that uh, contained all possible phone numbers in the world that he generated. And then it, he came to Facebook and asked like, Facebook, are my friends on Facebook? Here's my yeah. contact book. And Facebook kindly cross-matched all those numbers provided to the people names.
2: <laughs> Quite clever, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. it's,
1: it's very clever. Yeah. And it, think it, it, about the messengers. Who take your phone number as a primary login like and like in Facebook, you don't really have to provide phone number. But with the messages, you it's it's a base basic means yeah. of notification in there, which is super unsecure. Science you could just have a SMS hijacking and stuff like that. And someone can yeah. take over your thingy. And another thing that I also wanted to mention there, that we actually spoke about that recently in episode 24 what to do in order not to be affected by situations like that. Yeah. So if you want to learn about that, take a listen to episode 24 where oh. we talk about dealing with the uh, systems and being ready for a data breach of any yeah. kind. ELSA, yeah. Science data Dataset, is public. It's uh, being loaded into the I, Have I Been Pawned? So if you Google Have I Been Pawned, Website, and then you can use your phone number. And I believe you need to use it in in an in, uh, international format without plus. Yeah. Okay. And then you could look look up your phone number and see if it got exposed in a Facebook breach. You could also yeah. check your emails there and see if the email got exposed in any previous data breaches. And if it were, it might be a good idea for you to go and change your password. Make sure you have the for those services and so on and so on. So how I've been Pawned is is being run by the Troy Hunt, very respected person in a security community, and uh, it's safe to use your personal details to check if they've been compromised. Mm -hmm. Also, if you're using 1Password, I know 1Password has a feature called uh, Watchtower, and if you enable that one, it will cross-check everything stored in one password yeah. with a have-I-been-pwned database. Yeah. And it will flag it for you so you, need, so you take action.
0: Yeah, and say that it won't take your password and send it around. It will just hash your password and yeah. see if that hash is around. So it uh, exactly. won't know your password when it, when it checks.
2: It's cool. That yeah, brings so. a really interesting point about uh, security because we talk about cloud build and you never see the security bill. You understand? like the, the, Those yeah. costs are, are not... It doesn't show up anywhere. And I, I feel like, uh, for instance, in Site Engineer, we have error budget. Like everything yeah, is a budget kind of like, okay, yeah. reliability. We, we have numbers to measure that, but security is still not. I, I wonder if anybody has done some research that we could um, dig through and, and reach out because this is, uh, I mean, this is people's data. We understand. It's your friends. It's your family. It's, it's your your acquaintance. is everybody you know is probably affected by this. And it's only getting worse, I feel. I'm, I'm
1: curious what the European Union going to be doing about that because it's like a big GDPR breach. And it looks like that the latest data set was actually like a new data set. It wasn't something that was leaked before and just reappearing. No, it was something new. And Facebook haven't notified people about that. So that sounds like a GDPR breach to me. Yeah. And I would be curious to see what's going to happen there.
0: It's going to be scary. I mean, the European had this uh, judgment call, I think, in last year, saying that you can't have any GDPR data on a, uh, servers owned by U.S. companies. Wow. So we see records, I mean, I'm at the bank now. and We can't run anything. I had uh, actually a meeting with, with Mongo, and they said, hey, come over and run our stuff on. On Atlas, I'm like, can't do that. U.S. company can send any GDPR data to you.
2: That's uh, very interesting because I, I heard of yeah. a few banks here in Stockholm that are actually migrated to Google Cloud. Yeah, uh, yeah but it ha-
0: has to be other data. can't be ah. GDPR data. But should we go to the topic? We have a topic here, right? Yes, we do. Container OS, right? There's many different names for it, right? Mm-hmm. It, it means like OS specially builds to run containers. Am I correct here? Yes. Oh, yes. I kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what are the names we heard before? You said like, remember the old Santos Atomic? We have uh, CoreOS maybe the,
1: the most. I believe it was Red Hat Atomic.
0: Red Hat, Red Hat Atomic, uh, yeah. CoreOS maybe the most
1: famous one. It was acquired by Red Hat. Yeah. Which is that by now. Uh, And the story was kind of interesting there. So the first Coros got acquired by Red Hat. Red Hat already had competing products. But they said, like, yeah, fine. It it looked like they're going to keep both afloat. Yeah. And then uh, IBM bought Red Hat. And now we actually see repercussions of that. Red Hat killed Coros. Yeah. And also Red Hat started to change the way how they offer CentOS and Fedora. Yeah. So there are changes. Yeah. It's not related to container operating system, but there are repercussions of Red Hat being acquired from the IBM. So IBM started to squeeze it, you know. Yeah. And uh, yes, you mentioned that Ubuntu also had uh, something from container. Yeah, from. I, I
0: can't remember the name. They have some special Ubuntu... Image as well, yeah, yeah. They all it, coming up. Uh,
1: um, yeah. Um, yeah, there yeah, is I something mean, in GKE as well. Some yeah. some hardened operation system they have that they use for GKE. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. um, last March, Amazon released AWS model rocket. And this is what we're gonna be talking about today. Yeah. Uh version version what version one of the operating system got released in August last year. So now, half a year later, we are at the version 1.0.7, yeah, which uh, signals to me that the uh, majority of the child's problem is sorted out. Yeah. And it should be safe to be used in production. And I actually used it in production um, recently. And my experience was quite positive with it, so that's why I thought it would be nice for us to talk about it. Uh, Unfortunately, there is not much documentation available online, so the most documentation you will find in a GitHub repository. We will link it to the show notes and uh, there you will find a description of operating system and let me give you some details so first when you navigate to the github.com bottle rocket dash os bottle rocket you will see the repository and uh if you scroll a little bit down you will see a language just break down and there you might notice that 95.9 at the moment of recording is written in rust which is a memory safe language yeah. and a lot of security problems actually originate from buffer overflows people would yeah. fast their software with fathers trying to find uh, the way to break software or like crash the software and then exploit that yeah
2: and the so the, is go yeah uh-huh. I think we, we can back up a little bit for people who don't know so uh, an operating system is the software that allows you to interact with the hardware am I correct exactly, exactly. so and and those uh, operating systems are usually written in C uh, which allows you to have a pointers to a special uh, address in memory and hackers use that to actually override some command by the operating system which allow them to control the the software or what how processes are run and the fuzzing is the activity <laughs> of throwing random strings uh, or random data to an application in order to test its uh, i would say resilience to buffer overflow or yeah. you know all, all those kind of uh, parsing errors and memory access g- can yeah. get caught by a fuzzy yeah so thank
1: you for explanation Yeah, Karen. that was very nice of you <laughs> and you can also do it not only with a like a desktop application you can do it with a with a web application you just mm-hmm. take the REST api and throw things at it and yeah. see how it, how it behaves
0: it's one of my favorite hobbies way. <laughs> i, I, I really, really like, like this concept like- of oh. I, I like this uh, concept of, of uh, container OS. I like it's, it's good that we get like specialized operating system only used uh, to run uh, containers, and then yeah, and they like, are I,
1: small and interact with, with the hardware. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So idea with container operating system is that the operating system is being stripped down to bare minimum, yeah. and the actual application software will be delivered as container by by the container orchestrator. Yes. Kubernetes, Nomad, yes, yes, what have you. Yeah. And uh, let's see what we could learn about Bottle Rocket. And what it says on a, in a readme, that is, Bottle Rocket is built from source using a container toolchain. We use RPM package definitions to build and install individual packages into an image. RPM itself is not in the image. It's just a com- common and convenient package definition format. We currently package the following major third-party components: Linux kernel, obviously, yeah. mm-hmm. glibc. Yeah, you mm-hmm. you cannot really do without glibc. Build, build root as a toolchain. They package grub, so you have a like bootloader. Systemd yeah. as a init. Yeah. We get for networking. Containerd as a container runtime, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. So it's. <laughs> It's all that operating system got. Plus, there is some source code written in Rust to control the operating system because the configuration of operating system is done in a little bit different way comparing to the the traditional ones. Mm -hmm. Also, on top of that, there are multiple flavors that Amazon provides. So there is a EKS flavor, and that will include Kubelet, uh, and AWS IAM autificator used for airbag in uh, EKS, and also there is a flavor for ECS and that will contain ECS agent.
0: Yeah.
1: Another important thing to mention is that the bottle rocket image has two identical set of partitions and uh, you're updating the whole operating system. So you're basically replacing wow. everything. It's an atomic update. Yeah and, yeah. and when you're updating bottle rocket, first uh, it updates one partition if it works well it switches to that and then update another one. And also, if there are, like, issues with the failures, it could uh, do a revert back to the previous yeah. you known uh, well-working uh, partition. Like, reminds me the day my days in Ericsson, because, like, all the telecommunication software works in a similar way. Yeah. You always have a high availability mode. And uh, so there are two ways of interacting with... Um, with a bottle rocket instance, it actually provides the IP API. So you can operate, you can interact with the uh, operating system through the web API, which is amazing. Yeah. So like there is like HTTP API server and they provide you a, a command line tool that you could run to communicate with that. Yeah. Also there is a way to communicate with that through the user data. Right, so oh, yeah, if, yeah. if you're familiar with uh, EC2 concepts on AWS, when you're loading something or when you're starting the EC2, you could pass the user data in there, yeah. and uh, there, in user data you would usually have your cloud init script, or you might have some shell script that does something on the boot. Yeah. But here, it's different, you're passing a TOML file with the settings for the operating system. Ah cool. Which is super convenient. In a primary readme file they have uh, all settings enumerated, so you could pass additional uh command line flags for for your kubelet, for instance. You can pass yeah. your Kubernetes uh API ad- address, you can pass Kubernetes CIA that you need to connect to the yeah. to the Kubernetes cluster. Then, you, then there are kernel settings. For instance, there is a settings.kernel.lockdown that allows you to set a kernel in a three different modes. One is a none, which is default. Then there is like integrity and confidentiality. And they're planning to do integrity default later on. I believe that uh, confidentiality is the most strict one, and they turn off things like YBPF and that one. Yeah. So... Very simple way of hardening your operating system through the single switch. Yeah. Also, there is like settings.kernel.sysctl so you can tweak your memory settings and stuff. Again, through Toml, no need to write any shell scripts or anything else. Also, there are two ways to uh, do things with the, with the, with the instance. You have two type of containers running there so there is a control container and you can connect to control container through ssm so it's a systems manager session manager can't yeah, see yeah. the name but uh, you will get a connection through aws console and that will be you, you basically get a terminal within that container yeah. it's not privileged but you can yeah. configure it to be privileged if you want to and there is admin contra- container which you can enable and disable, you can make it superpowered or not, and that one exposes SSH if you need it. Okay. Like, know that in the uh, operating system itself, there is no shell, there is no SSH server. The attack yeah. surface is minimal, and you have yeah. basically have those two containers to work with the operating system if you yeah. want to like, actually in there and see what's going yeah. on. You could also get yeah. some, some stuff out of the API. And um, wow, again, this is
0: this is you could, it. It sounds super nice, Julian. What do you say?
2: Yeah, I I have a question because I'm I'm really impressed by the long list of really cool feature that I hear. I, 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 I'm just uh, getting started. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know, but uh, th- this sounds amazing. I have just one question: How do we install it? We're coming to that. Okay. So, uh another thing
1: is that through the toml file you can specify additional containers so for instance if you need to run something like intrusion detection system right yeah that might need to have uh, superpowers or be like a privileged container then you can do it through the custom containers and settings and then the operating system on the boot time it will download those images and get them running and another way to do that you through your container orchestrator. Also, in a uh, README they provide a list of security features. Right. So I gonna I gonna mention a couple of them for you. And this is what they write. Bottle Rocket has the following high level security goals. They are listed in priority order. Harden the OS against persistent threats mitigate the impact of vulnerabilities in the OS, protect containers from other containers. And here's the list of the features they added. So you have automated security updates in quotes. So because, for instance, in Kubernetes, in order to trigger those updates, you need to install the daemon set that will trigger the API and trigger the update. But yeah, it's possible to have it automatically. It's immutable rootFS backed by DM-verify, stateless TM- TMPFS for slash ETC, no shell or interpreters installed, executables built with hardening flags, SE Linux enabled in enforce mode. I mean, that's a real good yeah. deal of operating yeah. system being hardened in like, yeah. a base level, right? The baseline is kind of much stronger comparing to any uh, any traditional operating system where you need to do much more like people enable armor and and stuff like that but they go even more they provide you with a security guidance so there is a security guidance.md that you can find in the repository and what this is what they recommend there are a critical priority recommendation to enable automatic updates avoid containers with elevated privileges I believe many people already doing that yeah. restrict access to the host API socket makes sense because you can interact with the operating system through the API restrict access to the container runtime socket I believe everyone already doing that mm-hmm. and then there are a couple of important design for the host replacement I think this is a huge point because I mean this type of operating system is immutable as it gets like if you want to do immutable infrastructure, this yeah. is the way. I mean, yeah. there is no ansible SSHing to the host.
0: No, the no.
1: operating system is disabled is designed in a way to get all the necessary settings as a startup. Yeah. Right? So and basically with system, and with Kubernetes it's also quite easy to run yeah. immutable infrastructure. Containers I or container images are immutable. You have yeah. a possibility to shift them around. Basically, your system already is supposed to be somewhat immutable friendly yes. and be ready for replacement
0: yeah I mean this is super uh, super interesting. I think the, the hardest part is like is to stay at this level don't add stuff into this container, try yes. to work around it. Yeah, uh, I was working right. before, and we have like this intrusion detection system it's like you can't run it as a docker, right. Mm. And then, you feel, should I install it on the host? But no, leave the host alone. No, 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 no. Let the host be something as you say. It boots up, get its settings, and then just have it running. Don't add stuff to it. Work with containers and Kubernetes to, you know, get more uh, settings or like uh, services running on
1: on the host, and leave this uh, hard and OS as it is. I think that's really important here. Yeah, this is what they mentioned as one of the important recommendations is uh, limit use of host containers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is exactly what you're talking about. And then they say, like, limit access to system mounts, limit access to host namespaces, limit access to block devices. And what's really nice yeah. is not only recommendation, but they also provide instruction how to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, like, only this document is super useful and a lot of guidelines being provided here. And they also, like, uh, give you, like, for instance, uh, examples of Kubernetes spot security policies to implement that. Oh, nice. Uh, well, Like, well, with we spot security policies being
0: deprecated uh, so There would probably, probably be some other problem. I mean, we were running, like, for example, anchor scans, you know. You run anchor scans on the images. Hmm. That needs to have access to a kernel that are being built. And that was a problem when we were using uh, AVS before because you need to build that module with the latest kernel before you can use Anchor. It was, was blocking us. So they're going to be some services that might not be able to run here. So, But then you have to rethink and maybe do the image scanners in, during build time or something else settings. I mean, right. Uh, so try to keep away from from touching this uh, OS as much as possible and have it running. Then instead, find other solutions to, to get the service that they're using today working,
1: right? And now I want to get back to the Julian questions. How do you get use of this one, right? So as I mentioned, there are two flavors that you can get from Amazon that Amazon builds for you already. So one for ECS, another one for EKS. And there is a documentation how to start using those. But it's not how you should be doing it because they say like, do EKS CTL this, EKS CTL that. No, this is not how you do it. I mean, you use uh, tools like Terraform, right? To do infrastructure as code. And uh, there is uh, Terraform uh, Modules, quite a well known set of repositories maintained by Anton Babenko. Mm -hmm. And he has Terraform, YKS, AWS model, which is huge. It's like so much work went into, into that model, it's super flexible. Let's you do a lot, and uh, I using I using that model for a couple of projects, and I looked into issues like I, I looked for the bottle rocket. There were like a couple of people to suggesting adding additional handles to the model, where the maintainers of the repository said like you know it's already too complicated at the moment, so let us not do that. And I thought I would have to change that model to use bottle rocket, but apparently I was able to run it with that model with uh, just a little bit of tweaks uh, like two variables and the only thing that i needed to do is to obviously provide the imi id that corresponds to the image and then pass a template of the user data Ah, Uh, that that model would uh render that template for me so it will pass in the cluster ipi it will pass in the cluster ca because this information is known within the model and yeah. another thing, which is really nice about the model, that it allows me not only pass my own template and render it for me with a preset uh, set of variables that I need, but it also allows me to pass set of my own variables that it will be using when rendering. So I could like pass any type of template with additional fields in there, and uh, I will not attempt reading the Terraform stuff. <laughs> <laughs> on but the that's what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna do a gist on a github with example
0: nice.
1: and uh, put it in the show notes and i also promised uh, someone to do a pull request to that model to add a documentation about how to do that because i think many people will benefit from that and uh for next week well this week was very hectic for me i'm trying To get my stuff to Sweden through the custom <laughs> loading containers, actually like real steel containers, things that go on the ship. <laughs> but uh, next week, hopefully, when I'm in Sweden, I will have a more quiet time and I'm planning else to deploy it on ECS. Uh, we'll see how sounds, that goes. Sounds cool. I think if
0: you send the code, I would try to spell. I already install a lot of my workers with the, like template config so. I, I use some some tainting and things with, with the notes so that's super interesting I
1: little will, I will uh, uh, a little bit of report from the field so it worked pretty well so I deployed it and the only feed uh, problem I got the the log streaming thing like and that like, it was like file beat streaming logs yeah, and yeah. file beat settings was set to Json so it was like expecting docker logs yeah. and this one has container d. Which is like just uh, some generic runtime, it's not exactly Docker as it oh, is. Okay, okay. And, ha- and that one had a logs in a CRI format, container runtime interface. Yeah. But filebeat configuration, if you set it to after, like the detect log format, it's able to handle that. So we only needed to switch that one, and then worked pretty well. I disabled nice. the, I disabled the admin and the control container in production so no one yeah. can get in there. Yes. Uh, yeah. I probably can enable it back through the IP. I will have to check that. But so far, I'm quite pleased with the system. So Nice. nice I, I see no downsides of using it, and I see only upsides. It's yeah. uh, vendor-specific, though, but I think it should be possible to... I mean, it's open-source. It should be possible to compile that for... Are the destinations, and we also entertaining idea of building custom image that would have console and Nomad on top of that. So, like a oh. console and Nomad flavor of bottle rocket. But yeah, we'll see about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, cool. I mean, you could have a, your own container running it. So, if you're running a service with one yeah, container, you can should have one of those. It's super
1: or oh, so cool. we could like actually like install them on uh, on the yeah. host as, uh, not as containers but as binaries just because yeah, of like yeah. two go binaries and I think they work a little bit better as uh, binaries than in containers because they need to have uh, yeah. quite a number of privileges but yeah so very interesting project and it yeah. feels like it's uh, somewhat ready for prime time give it a try let us know if it fails on you so Fairways community
2: Very yeah. nice review I really, really appreciate it
0: Yeah but I think With that we're up to time yep. For the minutes guys it, yep. was,
1: uh, it was fun Once again Thank you everyone for tuning in And uh, we we'll see you next time Show notes will be at DevSecOps.fm You have been listened to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias André and Julian. For more podcast and notes, go to the webpage devsecops.fm. Thanks for tuning in.